today we are going to begin walking through a new series and really through a new book of the Bible. I'm not going to be able to complete this book because it has 150 individual sections. We're going to be walking through the book of Psalms. And when we go through the book, I didn't hear a Yahoo on that. Okay, good. <laughs> little encouragement. When we go through the book of Psalms, um, Psalms really are to be sung. They are the soundtrack of scripture, if you might say. They're the music behind the stories. And so today, what we want to do, and throughout this series, and we're really going to be going through this entire summer, calling it the Psalms of the Summer, as there are songs that have impacted our life, and you can remember those moments. You can probably still smell the air. You can taste what it was that you had in your mouth in those moments, those songs that resonated with us. This summer, we want the Psalms to resonate in the same way that those songs did in the past. And so what we're going to try to do today is to both uh, meditate upon, but also to, Stephen's going to sing for us Psalm 1 and allow God to use that in a way that ministers to us. And so let's allow God to uh, use his word to speak powerfully to our hearts. Because you see... Blessed, blessed is the man, the woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates both day and night. And so he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. But not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked shall perish. For the win. 
wicked will not stand in the judgment of the sinner in the assembly of the righteous. Oh, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked. Yeah, the way of the wicked will perish. Oh, yeah, will perish. Yeah, but blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. Father, you are the God that longs for us to delight in your word. Father, you've created us in such a way that your word is to resonate in us, and by resonating in us, it bears, it bears much fruit. And so, Lord, today, as we get into your word, would we examine how, how we might walk in the counsel of the wicked or where we stand in the way of sinners or sit, Father, even to mock the things that you have done. Instead, Father, would we embrace you as the God who wants us to be trees that are, that are not blown by the seasons of life, but rather have roots that go deep down into the foundation of your character, your love, your gospel. And your Holy Spirit would be that water that fills us and empowers us no matter the seasons that we encounter. Lord, make your word alive and afresh to us. And Lord, open our eyes to see and give us the ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. It's all planned. <laughs> Perfect. Exactly like we planned it this week. Yeah, as I said, as we go through these psalms, I hope that, um, I hope that these, these words would become like those songs in the past. I don't know about for you, but for me, it was the summer of 89. It was the summer between my freshman and sophomore year that the songs of that summer, for whatever reason, just resonated with me. And one of the songs that captivated my young soul, my young mind at the time was actually the song by Brian Adams called The Summer of 69. Because I had a, a band of guys that we got together. They were older than I was, but because they were older, I think because they liked me, it really gave me this self-confidence, and we did a lot of things we probably shouldn't have done because of that self-confidence. <laughs> but that song, really, every time I get in the car, I'd either hear that or I'd hear Journey, or I'd hear a, a song that would just kind of captivate my soul, and I can go back to those times riding in that car, being in the back of that pickup truck, 110 degrees in Dallas, Texas, and living life, at least when I thought was the living of life. Now, looking back, I realized I was exactly as the psalmist said, I was the one who was walking in the counsel of the wicked. Now, realize when it says wicked, I think that's a strong word for us, isn't it? 
When you think of somebody as wicked, you think of somebody that is evil, somebody that is deceiving, and yet wickedness really is a form of ungodliness. It simply means to be devoid of God. And I think of that summer, that summer really was pretty much absolutely devoid of God. Because the council I walked in was the council of 17-year-olds. Sorry for the 17-year-olds that are here. <laughs> it was the council of my desires, the council of my friends. And because I was walking in that council, in that season, I found myself standing in sin, just living in it, and eventually found myself sitting in the place of mockers saying, hey, I don't need God, I don't need my parents, I don't need rules, I just need to have, I need to have fun. And so as we get into this psalm today, what it's really describing, and it's interesting, Psalm 1 is the, the door into the psalms. If you think of the psalms as this 150-room uh, uh, building, the Psalm 1 would be the entranceway. It would be the lobby. It, it introduces all the themes that are really captured in the rest of the book. And it begins with this one phrase, blessed is the man. And when it says blessed is the man, it's using the old term for man back in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, that, that includes both man, male, and female. Blessed are we. Now, when you take that word blessedness, sometimes, and you may have this translation, some translations capture it happy. Happy is the man. Happy is the woman. The great video you were about to see but didn't see describes how happiness is such a major topic today. Harvard University has a class on happiness. Sociologists study it. Urban developers try to plan in such a way to put things in the right place all for the purpose of maximizing your happiness. So if you think happiness is trivial, you don't realize how much it influences every decision that we make to the extent that we live in a land where we pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so Psalm 1 says there is happiness. The, the first point that I think he makes in Psalm 1 is that happiness is possible. Now, I think we start out in life and we make that assumption. I mean, in my 16, 17-year-old self, I assumed happiness was natural and it was inevitable because I was 17. If I just met the right girl, then I'd be happy. You know, if I, if I was successful, if, if I just accomplished in sports, in athletics, with my friends, if they saw me the right way, then I'd be happy. Once I get that job, Oh, now, once we have the house, well, now once we can afford the house, once we get the car, now we got the kid, once we get the 401k to pay for the car, the kids, all that stuff, <laughs> then I'm going to be happy. What happens, I think, in, in life is you think that happiness is natural, it's inevitable. Sometimes we get to the point that we think it's unattainable. And that may be where you are today that you thought happiness was inevitable. And I thought as a young man, when I saw somebody unhappy, I just assumed, hey, they made a bad decision. If they're unhappy, it's your own fault. Because if you did things right, if you made the right choices, then 
you would be happy. But see, the, the psalmist is not saying that happiness is inevitable. And it's not saying it's unattainable for those who have lost hope. Rather, it's saying that happiness is, is possible. It's possible if, if we take the right path in life. Because what he lays out in someone, if you want to grab a Bible and turn there, and you'll find them in the uh, racks in front of you. you. don't have a Bible with you. You can also find some great Bible apps. Really recommend Blue Letter Bible, a fantastic app you can get on your phone. If you want to turn there, what he's describing is two paths in life. And he uses these, these beautiful metaphors of a tree that's planted by streams of water. And then it also describes the chaff that there's two pathways in life that lead to two different destinations. One destination is described by a tree planted by streams of water. The other is described by chaff. And chaff, it's not a word we use very often. Stephen, actually, I this week, we're kind of debating, is it chafe, is it chaff, what is it? It's the husk of a, of a seed that when they would gather in the grains or the wheats, the chaff was that outer coating. I'm not a farmer, but... And what would happen is the chaff would fall away. It would fall to the floor. Sometimes it would be burned. Other times it would just be thrown into the air. And it would float away. And he's saying when you walk in the counsel of the wicked, when you just kind of follow the basic wisdom of the world, sometimes we could say even when you follow the desires of the heart, you're walking in a counsel that typically is it's ungodly. And what it's going to lead to, even though it may seem joyful at the time, it may produce a fleeting sense of happiness, what he's going to get into is that type of life is blown by the seasons. Did you notice that? He talks about how it's blown by the winds. Well, the winds come in their seasons. The hot winds of the summer would come into the Middle East and they'd come down like a rage and everything that was green would suddenly turn brown. Reminds me of Texas. And he says that when life is not grounded in God, what happens is we're, we're weightless. An event happens and suddenly our emotions kind of take these, these swings. Or something happens in life and we go an entirely different path. Or we, something happens in life and we say to God, God, uh, I, I don't want anything to do with you. Life should be better than this. I don't deserve this. And he's saying there's a path in life that leads us into this this sense of floating in life, affected by the seasons of life. But he's going to teach us three things about this, this idea of happiness. The first is that happiness is not, it's not fleeting. It's not based on your circumstances. It's not external. Rather, he's going to say that happiness is internal. So let's jump into it. Again, blessed is the man, the one who walks. And he starts with what we should not do. Do not walk in counsel, the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers. But blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates both day and night. So if happiness is possible, why is it that so often we are not happy? And the answer is because we're seeking happiness in the wrong places. We're trying to find happiness in many ways where happiness cannot be found. And so he describes in verse 3 this 
picture of a life that is blessed, that is happy, he says, he is like a tree. And not just any tree, but one tree that is planted. Now notice when something is planted, it is not the choice of the plant to know where it is planted, right? It's got to be planted. So this is a tree to which someone has planted, and they've placed this tree strategically by streams of water. And because of that, because of its location, it yields its fruit in season, meaning it's not always fruitful. In wintertime, it, it doesn't produce fruit. But he goes on to say its leaf doesn't wither. Instead, whatever it does, it prospers. So what is, what is this happiness that he's describing? I think the first thing that he's showing us is every tree is going to go through seasons. I mean, all of us are going to go through the seasons of life. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I get philosophical about the good days. And I'll start to ask myself, how do I know it's good? It could be bad. And then when something bad, have you ever had that? Something really bad happens, and in my mind I think, well, how do I know this is bad? It actually could be good. So I think the older you get in life, you sometimes have these experiences that you thought were really, really bad. But you saw how God used it in your life. And even though the pain isn't something you wanted to go through again, you saw how out of that came something good. And then likewise, there have been times where I thought something was really good. Hey, she likes me. She returned my call. And I found out that was bad. <laughs> and he's saying, the psalmist, the psalmist is saying that the blessed one, the happy one, isn't living life on the winds. You with me? It's not floating. Something good happens. Hey, I'm happy. My emotions are good. Something bad happens. I start... I start becoming angry and agitated. Instead, he describes one that goes through seasons. And it's not that the seasons don't affect the tree. They do. There's seasons of fruitlessness and there's seasons of fruit. But the difference is, is where it's planted. The difference, the joy, the happiness, the blessedness comes from where it's planted. That this is a tree with roots that go down deep deep below the surface that the nutrients, the joy, the happiness, the strength doesn't come from what you see outside. It comes from the life that's flowing on the inside. Because if you notice, when you jump down to verse 4 and he starts to talk about the wicked are like chaff, he's not describing, you know, you could think, you know, the righteous are a big tree and maybe the unrighteous are little trees, right? But that's not the metaphor he uses. Rather, he talks about two different kinds of life, two different sources of life. One is not even connected to anything. It's, it's free, it's floating, it's itself, it's centered on itself. But see, the other is entirely different. It's not just different in type, it's different in substance. It's different in the source of life. One has a source of life that's not dependent on itself. It's dependent on the water. You see, if the waters go away, then the tree's in trouble. But when the seasons come, the reason it stands firm is because it's planted deep below the surface with roots that run down to waters that do not run dry. You see, if you go to um, 1 Peter 
chapter 1, in 1 Peter 1, I think it's the, a passage that captures this image best. And we went through that a number of months ago, and, and the book of 1 Peter is written to a community of people that understood hardship, suffering. They understood the painful seasons of life. And yet as they're going through these painful seasons, if I will ever find it, he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, Peter writes, in this you rejoice. Now, just for a minute, what he's saying you're rejoicing in is in God, in the gospel. Because in verses 1 through 6, he's reminding them of what God's done. This is who God is. This is what he's done for you. So he's saying, hey, in this, in this truth, you rejoice. But listen, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, he doesn't say you're grieved now, you'll rejoice later. He's not saying you're rejoicing now, then grief's going to come, you're going to come back to rejoicing. Rather, he takes rejoicing and grief, and he says they're both, they're both there. It's, it's one. You're grieving, and yet you're rejoicing. You're mournful. You're sad. You're broken up. You're, you're concerned. You're tired. And yet, there's this inner strength. There's this joy. You know, I find in the church... So often when we think of the strength that God gives us, I'll find people that'll come in and they'll have a terrible week, horrible experiences. And I've known them to walk in and they just think, okay, to be a Christian means to just buck up. Stoicism, right? I got the peace of Christ. <laughs> and they just come in and there's no weeping, there's no sadness. You know, God's good. That's not what this is describing. And I'll tell you, go read the stories of the gospel. Look at Jesus. If anyone meditated on God's word, if anyone had roots deep into the, into the life of God, it was the person of Jesus. And yet Jesus is crying all the time. He's weeping. He weeps over the death of Lazarus. Have you read that story? Crazy. Why would you weep when you know you're about to bring him back to life? I mean, I'd be like, dudes, Wait. Don't cry. This is going to be awesome. No, why? Because he's identifying with the pain of the world. Grief is painful. Losing someone you love, it crushes the heart. Jesus, when he came to Jerusalem, he looks at Jerusalem and he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you'd only believe the prophets, meaning God has sent person after person to woo your heart back from these things that you're following, and if you'd only listened, if you'd only heard, constantly broken, constantly weeping, and yet, image of rejoicing. See the nuance, it's deeper than what we imagined. It's not being stoic, rather, it's trusting more in what we believe. That happiness is not in our circumstances, but rather happiness is found in the things that we're planted in. So let me ask you, if you go back to verse one, let's take the test. He says, do not walk in the counsel. And notice this movement goes from movement down to sitting, walking, standing, sitting, and it moves from bad to badder to worse. What counsel do you regularly listen to? I'll tell you, my counsel is called, you ready? The book of me. Have you heard of that? Things happen. And the first place I go to is the book of me. 
that my counsel of the wicked may be different than yours. I don't like to listen to a lot of talk radio. I hate the news. I really do. What I tend to go to is to inside, the introvert. I wrestle, I think. And often what I start to rely on is my wisdom. And what I find is the counsel of the wicked is the counsel of me. That instead of recognizing the thoughts that are going through my head and submit, submitting them, surrendering them to the Lord, hey, I'm just happy to walk. Are you with me? It's almost as if I won't even give it a second thought. And I think my me is gospel. And yet, you know how I know my me is not good? Because the second stanza does not stand in the way of sinners. I just have to look at the output of my life. Because see, if the counsel you're listening to, it's always going to influence your behavior. And so your behavior, if you walk in it long enough, is going to influence your attitudes and your desires. The last place he says is he's sitting, which is permanence. It's a place of identification. He's sitting in those who mock God. So let me ask, what is it that you regularly listen to? It could be you just listen to yourself. It could be that there's someone in particular. It could be the radio. It could be music. It could be the culture. It could just be simply the desires, the pains of the past, the longings of the heart. What do you listen to? Because whatever you listen to is going to influence how you live. And if you walk in it long enough, you're going to sit. And it only, it's going to take a movement of God to get you up. Because I don't know if you realize that Jesus was called as one who spent time with sinners and prostitutes. You know why he was called that? Because he sat with them. Because see, when you sit, you identify. You say, this is my people. Well, where do you find yourself so often sitting? And are we even aware of that? See, as we go through the Psalms, what I love about it is the psalmist is constantly aware of how easily he falls into these categories. It's not black and white, but rather the, those who are righteous that are redeemed by God, so often our minds walk in wickedness. We, we stand in sin. Sometimes we sit in attitudes that lead to destruction, and he's, he's asking us, as the psalmist so often do, he's speaking to the soul. Are you willing to evaluate? Have you noticed the psalmist always talking about this guy's soul? You know, it's not soul train. It's not soulful. He's, he's, it's self-talk. He says, soul, why are you weary? Soul, trust in the Lord. What's he doing? He's, he's meditating. He's looking at his life. He's not talking to God. He's, he's not repeating God's words. He's Rather, he's looking inside, and that's what this psalmist is saying. And as we get into the psalms this summer, the thing I, I just want to ask you to do is, would you let God just search your heart? I don't want to tell you what you need to do. He's, he's, he can do it. Search your heart. Know me. Know my inward thoughts. The psalmist will say in Psalm 19, God, Father, I know the ways that are wicked to you, but there are all these ways in me that I don't even recognize. Would you, would you help me with that? Would you just let God examine your heart that happiness is not found simply in my circumstances. It's found in something else. And second, happiness is not found in happiness. And I hate to say this, but our Constitution isn't right, the preamble. The pursuit of happiness will never result in happiness. 
Because see, blessedness is one of those words that you find in almost every book of the Bible. It's, it's more than happy. It's a fullness of happy. It's not less than happy. It's a contentment, it's a satisfaction. But the one thing you'll never find is a verse that says, blessed are the blessed. Or blessed are those who seek blessedness. Or happy are those who chase after happiness. No, it's always blessedness and happiness comes out of the pursuit of something else. Are you with me? It comes out of the pursuit of something else. And so he says, blessed is the man that delights, who's not walking in the council. He's examining his life. He's looking at his behaviors. He's looking at those attitudes that he's sitting on and says, I will never change. He's submitting them to God. And then he's choosing to delight in the law of the Lord, that happiness cannot be found in the pursuit of happiness. And that's why Jesus... You know, when the Pharisees and those guys come to him, they say, okay, tell me about the laws. Or this rich guy comes to him and says, how can I be saved? Tell me what laws I need to obey. He doesn't go to, to the individual laws. He says, let me summarize. What you need to do is to have a passion, a heart that loves the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want you to love your neighbor as yourself that eternal life, the pursuit of happiness, whatever it is that you're chasing after, if you're chasing after it to make you happy, it'll never make you happy. And if you go to God to become happy, you will not be happy. See, this is the idea. God is, God is no person that can be fooled. If we go to him just to get happy, we're not going to be happy. Rather, what the psalmist is going to show us, we have to go to God to get God. Because in getting God, you become happy. Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and that's what the psalmist is describing as a life of righteousness, and everything else will be given unto you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. They shall be blessed. See, my problem in life is that I am dedicated to my happiness. Am I the only one? It's my biggest problem. I think it's my biggest problem. They always say your biggest problem is the one you don't see, so maybe it's not, but I am dedicated. And here's the point that I want to get to as we look at this, is I delight in my happiness. I, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I am so committed to my happiness that I fight for it. I delight in it. And when you don't give it to me, it bothers me. And I think about it. You know how often I think about it? Day and night. I am just like chaff. What's he saying? You know, this idea of meditation, you know, we think, we think of some monk or some Buddhist, you know, on a mountain. Or maybe you've meditated and you've sat in the lotus position, whatever that is, and You've connected whatever that does look like. But what does it really mean to meditate? It's, it's not this just mystical idea. Rather, it's just it's, it's thinking. It's, it's reminiscing. It's taking an idea, a thought, and allowing it to just turn. Like, like your washing machine just goes over and over. It's, it's what we do. But see, we always do it with the things, and you're doing it now, right now, with the things you delight in. Now, sometimes the things we delight in are things we think we hate, but we love to live in misery. Are you with me? And what happens? We, we think about it. Day, 
night. And when you walk in that counsel, it leads to certain behaviors. Those certain behaviors lead to certain attitudes, and we find ourselves stuck. And so what is happiness? Well, he says happiness in verse 2 is the one who delights in his law, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, I know you're thinking that doesn't sound like freedom. Who wants to delight in law? I mean, how restrictive, right? Uh, law, how, uh, he's not saying, when we hear the word law, I think we think of individual laws, maybe amendments to the Constitution. But the law of the Lord described the first five books of the Bible. It's actually the first five books that a young man, a young woman would memorize before the age of 13. Because when he's saying delight in the law of the Lord, the people he's speaking to don't have Bibles. I mean, uh, the scrolls were incredibly expensive, and so the only stuff they had was stuff that they had either written down on a little piece of parchment that's probably written on ten times, or they had what was stored up in their mind. That they'd hidden God's word in their hearts so that they may not sin against him. And see, so what he's telling us is that the things that we delight in, listen, they're going to affect the way you walk, where you stand, and ultimately where you sit. So what does it look like to delight in God's law? What does it practically look like? Well, the law of God refers to the story of God. Not just the individual commandments, because I don't know if you realize this. And let me share something. Uh, the commandments mean nothing if the story isn't true. Do you realize that in the scripture? The commandments mean nothing. That's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15. Christ has been raised. Hey, let's go home. <laughs> Let's have an early lunch. This is futile. It's silly. The laws as a Christian mean nothing if the story isn't true. What he's saying we need to meditate on is the story of God. The story of what God has done. You know, one of my favorite uh, passages actually in, in the book of Luke, if you want to turn there just for a moment, it's after Jesus has died and he's risen again and he's walking on the road to Emmaus. You may remember this story with these two guys and they don't recognize it's Jesus and Jesus is talking to them, and, and they're saying, don't you know about the things that have happened? Haven't you heard that they crucified our Messiah? He has died. And Jesus is speaking to them. And at the end of uh, Luke chapter uh, 24, Jesus is speaking to them, and he begins to speak in verse 22. 25, I got it. And he says to them, Luke 24, 25, and he said to them, O foolish ones, O slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. What it was not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory. And notice what he says, beginning with Moses. Moses is the law. First five books. And all the prophets he interpreted to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. What's he doing? Well, notice what he says. Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart. As they're walking along the road, they're meditating. Really, what they're meditating on, I think, is how bad life is going to be for them. How terrible their circumstances are. Can you believe what's happened and they're lost in themselves, what Jesus does is he takes the law and he causes them to become lost in God. 
And he says, you know all those commandments. You know all those prophets. You know what they were talking about. They were talking about me. That the center of the Old Testament is Jesus. The central story of Scripture is the story called the gospel. It's good news. It's good news that we, on the one hand, though we rebelled against God, though we rejected his counsel and accepted our own counsel, he has not rejected us. But instead, he who was wise became in some ways on the cross like a fool. He died for our foolishness so that we might become wise. That Jesus who meditated on the Father constantly, he who knew the Father, delighted in the Father, died for those who delight in our sin so that we might learn to delight in the Father. This summer, I want to encourage you just to allow maybe a verse, a word. You don't have to go through five chapters a week, which is great if you do that. Just allow the word to begin to resonate. Maybe to camp in one psalm for an entire week or an entire month. And not just to look at the law, because I think we're good at looking at the things that we don't do good and we do do good, because that's kind of life, every moment of life. Would you allow the scriptures to reveal who God is? And instead of being lost in your mind and in your thoughts, would you learn to get lost in God? Because see, that's where delight and happiness is found. It's found in losing ourselves in him because when we lose ourselves in him, guess what? We start to find ourselves. And when we find ourselves in him and in his purposes and his ways, we find life and no matter what seasons come, though we weep and grieve, there is this inner strength that God is perfecting our, his strength and our weakness. And so would you walk with him this this summer, and just allow his character and his story to become your story and to walk in his goodness, to learn to delight in him. You know, as we close the service today, we're going to close by celebrating together the gospel story, celebrating what Christ has done to bring us to the Father, that he laid down his life for us, and he tells us in the book of John, nobody took it from me. This was not unexpected. I laid it down of my own accord. The way that we do that is we celebrate through intinction. Intinction is a process of taking the bread, which represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. We take that bread and we dip it into the, to the juice that represents the shed blood of Jesus. And we receive it by faith, knowing that the one who saved us is the one that loves us and wants to manifest himself to us. And so as I invite those that are going to celebrate communion for us, uh, men, women, would you come and take your places? My encouragement to you is that you would, in this time, before you come up, and if you'd like to stay where you are, you can stay where you are and just raise up your hand. And I've got some loving folks in the back that will bring the elements to you. Would you reflect on what is it that I am walking in? What is the counsel and how can I turn that, instead of just living in my head, what can I do to really delight in God and what he's done? So let's allow the power of this symbol that God has given us to bring life and allow our roots to be planted deeply in who he is. Let's celebrate this gift of communion together. Come, join us.